Hello, this is Tracy Hickman. And I'm Laura Hickman. And our DNA is actually currently orbiting on the International Space Station. So, we are in orbit right now on Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Bye-bye Saturday night. From the Area 51 back alley fencing and Seacorel Exhibition Hall, it's once again clickbait for the years. Welcome to TalkCast 402, this edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Tonight, without having meaningful REM sleep for the past eight days, I am your host, the guy once again, passing on the flu shot, taking the whiskey shot, the dome. Joining the TalkCast tonight, some of the gang... In the Peabody Time Tunnel, sitting in the Sci-Fi Saturday Night Help Desk and Gaming Pavilion, it's our own taciturn technical trouble wrangler, Kriana. She's having overheating issues. <laughs> and, 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 and Zombrarian may or may not join us, may or may not be with us. We hope she is. We hope I to see her later. Oh, my goodness. She is actually here. I am here. You didn't see me come in? I didn't. I didn't. The Dank Dungeons Multiply Decorated Department of Ebook Printout Redundancy at the Reference Library Annex of Cyborg University's Zinfandel, Colorado Satellite Campus. Zombrarian has stumbled in. How are you tonight, my dear? Some jerks parked in my parking spot, but other than I heard that, that. I'm good. Yeah. I heard that. Yeah. So what are we going to do about some jerk? Well, I was we, thinking about have... using Coke to write Get out of my parking spot space, on jerk. his car and let the acid in the Coke eat through the paint of his car. That would be a terrible thing to do, but necessary. Well, I mean, it is evil. Yes. <laughs> but it is also my parking spot. It is totally your parking spot. So I assume, you know, you let management know and then they go, so? Uh, <laughs> no, actually, they send a guy out and the guy comes in a tow truck and goes, is this it? And I say, yes. And he says, no. okay. He takes it I, away and then I put my car where it belongs. Rock on. Good for you. Tuck it in and tuck it in nicely. Excellent. Excellent. And, and happy, happy day, light number three when we're recording, light number eight when this finally airs of Hanukkah to our friends of the candle lighting persuasion and and all that neat stuff. Actually, I didn't count. It may only be lighting day number seven when this actually airs. I'm not sure anymore. Who knows? Uh, somebody does. It's obviously not me. Well, we'll know on Saturday what night of Hanukkah it is. We will, but it will be too late to change things at that point. Yep. <laughs> Because that's oh, how we so roll. So observant. 
one of the nice things about uh, um, going to conventions is not the fact that for two days you can barely see and your entire body aches and, and you get really tired really easily and your legs hurt and you have to set up tables and break down tables, but you get to meet people. And uh, that's kind of what the conventions are like for us uh, when, when we sit there. And at, at GraniteCon this year, this lovely young lady came up to me with her book and said, hi, I write. And I said, cool. And she's with us tonight. It's Kara Como. Kara, welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me, actually. Appreciate it. That's that's a weird introduction, and I get that. But it's kind <laughs> of weird how we met, because I was just oh, kind yeah. of sitting there and, and, and talking to a bunch of people uh, at the table, and you walked by, and next thing I know, we were deep in, in like, uh, young writer conversation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was actually the highlight of my day was just actually talking to you and like talking about science fiction stuff. It was awesome. <laughs> You're so nice. And I understand that that may or may not be true, but that's OK. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. No, it was seriously exciting. Um, I really enjoyed our talk and it was actually really encouraging just to talk about it and just talk about like science fiction in general, not just about writing. It's really interesting to me to have a writer as young as you are with as many books currently out as you've got that have gotten some really terrific reviews. Um, well, it, me, yeah, that, go ahead. <laughs> that's just kind of, you know, from my perspective, kind of really wonderful. Uh-huh. And I mean, you, you started writing at 15. 15? Actually, it was 12. <laughs> yeah, I published when I was 15. My first two books. Wow. But who's, who's counting, right? <laughs> I, I think you need to be because right now you've got some interesting stuff. Now, when you started <laughs> writing uh, at 12 and publishing at 15, you were writing a series of... Um, Young Adult Mysteries mm-hmm. called the Amber Oak Mysteries. Mm-hmm. So tell, tell we, first of all, where did this come from? When did you start figuring out that you needed to be a writer? <laughs> well, it initially began when I was, I was in middle school, so I was around 12, and I was in a very small school where I was kind of a loner, so I was I was the one kid that everybody saw was a weirdo. And from that, I was actually bullied. And I was bullied by the students, by the teachers, and I actually had no outlet. I felt like I really couldn't talk to anybody about it. So I found my love of writing through that because in my mind, I couldn't change what was going on. I couldn't talk to anybody. So I'm like, well, I can't change what they're doing to me, but I can certainly write about it and find my own outlet. And that's how Amber opened became she was the one person that I couldn't actually be in real life she was kind of like my alter ego Mm -hmm. and the first two books uh the Amber Oak Mysteries volumes one and two were those short stories Uh, yeah initially they were short short stories Amber Oak 
uh, Mysteries Volume One and then Adventures of the Young and Curious, my first two books, and they were short stories. As Ambrook progressed, they became more like parts one and two, so they became longer. And then Amber Oak and the Missing Link, Amber Oak and the mm-hmm. Masters of Illusion, uh, mm-hmm. and was uh, the Lost Journal of Erica Trainer part of that series as well? That was actually a completely different book. I took a break from the Amber Oak series. That was when I was in college. That book was the first time I wrote in first person. It was kind of like a test to see if I could really do first person point of view. And at that time, I was in college and it was based off of a situation I went through. My friends were going through some trouble and I was not involved in the situation. I couldn't really help them. But again, I went back to my writing because I could write about what I wanted to do, how I wanted to help them. And that entire book was all about finding yourself and it's okay to be different. It's so embrace your difference, embrace your strange tendencies. It's okay to be unusual. So that was what that was all about. And then Somewhere along the way, you took a, a, a real leap in uh, tone and and in tenor and moved from mystery to sci-fi. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? Why did that happen? Well, <laughs> why how? Well, okay, so when I was younger, I grew up a lot in the sci-fi world. So my dad showed me Doctor Who. He showed me the original Doctor Who. And I fell in love with that concept of the sci-fi fantasy world. Um, My parents tried to get me into Star Trek. I couldn't necessarily get into it as much as Doctor Who. But I saw a few episodes, and I really loved that concept. In fact, a lot of my older books, a lot of the original mysteries, had some sci-fi element to the stories and when I was initially writing I wasn't exactly sure where my voice was and what genre was for me specifically and every time I thought about Amber Oak I was like it's not going the way I wanted it to go and I was listening to the people around me who were telling me I needed to write it a certain way and I'm like that's it's not right it's it's not me it's I gotta find who I am and it was at that point, and this was after um, and the Lost Journal of Erica Trainer, where I decided that, you know, I'm going to stop with writing Amber Oak. I'm going to put it down, and I'm going to reevaluate myself as a writer. I'm going to reevaluate what I want to be, who I want to be, and how I want to represent my writing. And that's when I kind of took a more serious turn with it. And that was like the senior year of my college and I decided to rewrite it. I, and my parents were really surprised. I mean, they were supportive, uh, but they were very surprised that I took that leap. And I'm like, the more I was thinking about it, the more I looked into it, the more I realized it was going towards sci-fi. And I'm like, well, let's see where it goes. And it's interesting that as you progress through high school and then going to college, you kind of outgrew the, the Amber Oak stylistic mm-hmm. uh and and characters mm-hmm. so you needed to essentially what you've done in your your newest book memories of chronosalis 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 i can do it yeah. 15 different ways they will all be wrong <laughs> memory because you know kara i even got your name wrong when we started so okay. what else is new? <laughs> In Memories of Chronosalis, you you start with 
Well, you kind of start with the, again, uh, young girl being bullied fish out of water, mm-hmm. uh, uncomfortable with her situation. And then you take a hard left. And oh, yeah. that hard left uh, brings us into the fantasy word world of Chronosalis. Mm-hmm. So in order to do that, you've invented not just another country, not just another place, but an entire universe, the universe that uh, Chronosalis is a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, did that invention come before you wrote the, this book or after when you realized you were going far beyond it? Well, it initially started when I first started writing it because I really wanted, like you're saying, the hard left, I wanted to take that leap. I'm like, let's turn this all around. Let's see what I can do. Let's go that extra step and see what this world really is. Because to me, every book is another world. Every book that I read, every book that I write, it's always something different. And when I was writing Memories of Chronosalis, I knew that I wanted this galaxy to be called Chronosalis. And within this galaxy, I was focusing, at least with this book, on a specific solar system within the galaxy. And it was after that I wrote Memories of Colonel Salas and that I was halfway through the prequel that I realized I can do more with this galaxy. There, I mean, there's billions of planets and there's billions of solar systems. There's so many stories to be told here. And so that's where I took it a step further. And that's kind of where I'm going with it. And the, the, the crux of where things take place in Memories of Chronosalis is a place called Galicea. Mm-hmm. Where, okay, and the, with, without, I'm trying very hard not to give much away as we're talking. And that's very difficult, I have to tell you. And, and the reason it's so difficult is the depth of specificity in which you write um Mm -hmm. which i really enjoy by the way i like the fact that you paint very specific clear pictures for the reader so that as things become chaotic uh um for the character you don't have chaos in the structure there's, you mm-hmm. always know where you are, what you are, what's supposed to be. And it, it's, a, right. it's a wonderful style in which to write fantasy. Yeah, thank you. It, it gives the reader the, the crutch of not, of, of not having to worry about setting and texture. That's all there. And, and you, you get very, very, very specific with it. Um, and I, like I said, I really enjoy that. So talk about the mystery of Galicea and, and what, in fact, that is that becomes kind of like the center point of, of, of uh, Memories of Chronosalis. Okay, well, Galicia um, in the original series was actually there. It was in the later books, and it was described in the later books as initially a, a country, a country, like a made-up fantasy country that was somewhere in uh, near England, so it's like on its own little island. And when I was initially writing it, I thought of it as the most peaceful place in the entire world, the entire place. And from 
when I was writing it initially, I was like, you know, this is becoming more and more like its own, not just civilization, but just its own entity of itself. It doesn't even feel like it was part of earth anymore. So that's part of the reason where that came. And there was so much depth to it when I initially started it in that they had their own culture, they had their own belief system. And that Galicia in and of itself is where everything kind of originated from. Everything else was built around Galicia. So that that's that spot, that place, that setting mm-hmm. has been kind of building within you as you've right. been writing all along. Exactly. <laughs> It's kind of amazing when you think about it, that in various forms, it's actually shown up in most of your books. Right. Yeah, it's been a it's been a process in, in a way. And in some ways, I feel like my when it originally came about, I feel like that was more it's outline in a sense. Um, looking back at my older books, uh, it's kind of funny because I have to smile and be like, well, that's cute. That's how it started. And now look where this uh, it is. It's, there's a galaxy, there's a bunch of planets, and here it is, its own planet, its own thing. And so it's kind of funny how that kind of came about. It kind of grew along with me. So now, um, as, you begin, uh, as your second book, which is actually the prequel to Memories of Chronosalis, uh, mm-hmm. is being edited for publication, mm-hmm. uh, you have kind of a design for this universe Mm -hmm. so let's talk a little bit about that design and and where where we could expect to see this go in the next few volumes okay well galaxies grow um whenever we see a galaxy we see new planets and we're always discovering new things so in a way i feel like this is more like taking the reader and they're going to be space explorers in a sense when they're reading all these books and seeing all these new planets. And what I have in mind is for the next, uh, I'm working, like I said, on a trilogy uh, after the prequel and that's going to take place in a whole different, different idea, different group of planets. And I'm working, each book is going to work on more and more planets. But what I'm trying to do at the same time is make it so that the reader can do crossovers with the characters of each book or each cluster of books, whatever it is that I'm writing. And so I'm intentionally making timelines of when certain books are happening so that people can do those crossovers. Because I've always loved the concept of fan fiction, and I always believe that fan fiction helps other writers to explore their own ideas. And I'm intentionally writing that for those future, for those future writers. And I'm hoping um, I'm, I'm putting little Easter eggs in my future books to reference back to the original memories of Chronosalis so that people can be can go back and be like, wait a second, that looks so cool. That reminds me of this book over here. So everything is going to connect, whether it be subtly or whether it be an actual direct statement from a character, it's going to all interconnect. And a lot of it's just planning so i have my next three four or five books planned out as we speak it's a matter of just outlining them and getting them written out what are the things that you decided to do uh as you've begun writing science fiction is going to conventions and, and not just going as a as a uh as 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 a person walking around but actually becoming a participant and it was 
so much fun to see you at Keene this year. Uh, yeah. Was that your, the first time you've done a con? Okay, that was the first time I did it as a vendor. Yes, right. uh, that was my, it was amazing. It was the most fantastic thing I'd ever experienced. Well, I was going to um, ask if you liked it or not, but clearly it yeah. seems as if you did. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. Oh, my gosh. No, seriously. It was absolutely amazing because I connected with multiple people, like, and definitely connected with you again. But I was connecting with other people who were in my genre, and I actually sold more books there than I ever had at any event beforehand, which that told me that I needed to focus on vending at cons rather than, I mean, obviously book events are a huge thing and a huge deal. Um, but those are a lot of the author expos were more like for me, they were more of a networking with other authors. Whereas a comic con, I felt like this was my, this is where I was supposed to be. This is where I'm going to get, this is where I might even get more sales for that matter. So it was a, a lot of what it was, was just a trial and error to see where I kind of fit in, in the marketing and the selling world. Well, one of the, one of the other things that you've been doing a lot of is, uh, kind of, uh, I wouldn't say uh, small scale, but kind of individualized personal appearances at like mm -hmm. uh, libraries, local libraries in your area, uh, schools mm -hmm. in your area. How are, how are those things for you? Those things are actually more of, um, I guess, for the libraries, I, that's, I did those as more of a, when I started my, for, my book tour with Memories of Chronos Salad. So I haven't done many libraries recently those were just more of a i'm going to connect with the people of that specific town or that general area uh, for me i actually primarily enjoy going to schools and talking to students of all age groups um, currently i'm working with a group of students from they're in eighth grade and i'm actually working with a series of workshops and our goal with me and the teachers is try to get them to have a published work by the end of the workshop. So that's a huge project I'm taking on, and I'm very excited for it because the students seem super happy to write. Um, today, actually, I just came from a, another school that was a charter school, and I spoke to about 50 people, and I all the students were so excited, and it made me feel so happy that they were like, interested in writing and that they want to develop the craft more they've reached out to me even after school let out to say hey can you look this over does this sound right and to me that tells me I'm, I'm i'm helping them and i'm doing something and that means more to me than anything really nice nice so it's there's there's also in doing that a kind of pay it forward kind of deal where right. you're it's uh, yeah it's a good feeling there's no question about it, is, it. it's just amazing it's amazing <clears throat> You, in your biography, and I've read it all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good Lord. I know more about you than, than I, I normally take the time to, to, to deal with because I, I've kind of, you know, the two times that we've met have both been a lot of fun for me. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, you know, and I read in your biography that uh, right around the time you, you started college, you stopped writing. Mm -hmm. um, because uh, you, and I'm quoting you here, you lost mm -hmm. faith in yourself and didn't oh, believe yeah. in your ability to write. Mm -hmm. um, what brought that back? What, what, what did it take to bring that back for you? My mom and my dad, believe it or not. So um, it was near the end of high school. So like you said, high school, college was about to start. So I was 
going through a really rough patch in high school where I met the wrong friends and they were definitely not encouraging me to write. They were just, they were not the nicest of people. Um, it was one of those things, that, one of those decisions that you make in, in when you're young that you always, you're going to make the wrong friends. And my mom noticed that and she saw that my writing was dwindling down. I had a book on the shelf that I'd written, but I didn't even touch because I wasn't getting that encouragement. And she said, look, I know you're struggling. I know you're just, just, let's just, you don't have to write anymore if you don't want to just let's just publish this book. And that way you can get off your chest. And the more my mom and I are super close. She's my manager always has always will be. And, you know, she said, look, I don't know what's going on. I'm here to help you. Um, this is not, she was just, she was telling me straight up, this isn't you, this, I know who you are and you're an incredible writer and don't give that up. And she was my cheerleader has and always will be my cheerleader for my writing. And I think that's what pulled me out because my mom believed in me so much. And that's what really encouraged me and got me out of that rut. And I wouldn't be here talking to you if it weren't for her. Yeah, it seems like over and over again, uh, both both in, in your bio and uh, in other interviews that you've done, you mm-hmm. uh, make it a point to uh, talk about your mother and your father being your oh, yeah. your biggest cheerleaders. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. So Most definitely. Everybody writes differently. Uh, mm-hmm. Some writers are very structured and mm-hmm. have to write a certain way at a certain time in a certain place. Uh, mm-hmm. Other writers uh, pop into a Starbucks and, and sit there uh, with five or six cups of coffee on their laptop and do it in the middle of. And I don't know how they manage to write in, in situations like that, but they do. Um, so mm-hmm. what, what is the writing process for you like? Okay. Well, confession, I am one of those people that would be in Starbucks with five or six cups of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> That's just me. That is Somehow totally I'm not me. surprised by that. Totally okay. surprised. So I have, okay. So here's how my brain works. And a lot of people don't understand it. There's only a few people in this world that do. My brain is so sporadic. And when I have an idea, it's either I sit down and write it or I dwell on it for like days on end with a lot of, cup of a lot of cups of coffee. That's just, you, there's no like in between. Um, for me, I actually really, I don't know to say patient would be the word. I'm patient with certain aspects of my writing and that I listen to my characters because I'm always telling, I tell this to students that I talk to, I tell this to everybody that asks me this it's like I'm only a historian for fictional characters and it's their story not mine and I learned that later on in life and I realized that once I started listening to my characters the story went so much better and that's part of the reason why I'm not that structured person and I don't write like at nine o'clock in the morning every single day and that's why I'm so sporadic because sometimes my characters will talk to me Sometimes they'll say, well, this is what happened in this way, or they'll change their mind and be like, "Uh uh-uh, you're writing it this way. And in a way, I kind of like that freedom because it allows me to be, to be more open-minded. And that's not to say that I don't have an outline. I always follow some kind of a, at least a loosely based outline because it keeps me, it keeps me focused in in that sense. But if there is something that changes, within the story that I'm writing. That's why I have a pencil. So I can always erase and rewrite <laughs> certain sections. 
I, I, in the back of my mind, I can see you have discussions with your characters. Oh yeah, all the time, every single day. <laughs> most of the time, most of the time, it's when I'm in the car driving, driving to and from places. But that's usually how it works. <laughs> Just having those kinds of arguments where, oh yeah, you know, you see a story going this way, and the character will literally say to you, "What are you nuts? This oh, is yeah. what happens." Oh yeah, exactly. That's literally verbatim what they say. At least and, five times a day. <laughs> and in that respect, Memories of Chronostalis has some very, very strong, opinionated, mm-hmm. well-thought-out characters. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. See, I, I learned, when I was in college, I have this friend, Stephanie. She's my best friend ever, still is to this day. And she's also a writer. And she taught me, and she, she'll, she'll deny this completely, but she taught me so much about the writing world and how she gave me ideas of how to better develop my characters. And the one thing she taught me was if you're going to have a story, you've got to develop your characters as much as you humanly can because in essence, they're the ones that carry the story. You can have a great plot, but if your characters are dull, it's not going to be the greatest idea. And so I took that and really went far with it. I went so far as to, you know, 10 pages later, I'm realizing I can write a prequel for it. And that's just how it happened. And um, personally, I think that that's what made a story with the Chronosalis the way it is, is, as you were saying, just the character development. Having not read uh, your previous books, but being mm-hmm. so caught up in this one, it's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's um, awesome. <laughs> you, you, you throw out in the very first couple of chapters uh, two settings that are just bizarre. Madison, yeah. Wisconsin, yeah. and Ipswich, Mass. Oh, yeah. Why? Why? Okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, okay, I'm sitting okay. here and I'm going, why in the hell am I in Madison, Wisconsin? <laughs> Talk, uh, walking through Greenwood Sanatorium. Why? And I mean, I, All right. get, I get the foreshadowing of what happens there. Why is it there? Okay. So I, there's a method to my madness, I promise. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so Madison, Wisconsin. All right. When I first started this book, like the reboot of it, reboot of Amber Oak, I said, all right, I need to pick a place that she lives initially that is kind of there's not a whole lot of things happening in respect of like Chicago or a big city place. I need to find some place. And I actually liked Wisconsin. I've never been there, but I've always wanted to, to see <laughs> Wisconsin, but I, I love the concept of it. That was my next yeah. question. Have you ever been there? No, I haven't. It's dull. <laughs> I have. Well, so that, that's, that was the point. It's like, I wanted to pick a random place and they did a lot of research on it, especially Madison and Greenwood Sanatorium actually came from the original story of, Am- of the series. See, when I rewrote the series, the, the memories of Colonel Silas and I wrote that, I had it in mind that I wanted to pick out certain elements from the original series just so that I can, you know, people can look back and if they've read the books, be like, oh my gosh, I remember that. Or she, I see how she did. I see what she did. So it's, it, it seems 
super, super random if you read it for the first time and you're like, wait, why, why Wisconsin? Why Greenwood Sanatorium? What's going on? Right? No, I get it. But it was for that reason to connect back to the original series. Um, Ipswich, I have a major connection with it. Um, my parents brought me to Ipswich, Massachusetts since I was a toddler. Um, that's where they met. And my mom, they both lived there for quite some time. Um, I have a family buried in one of the local cemeteries. So we kind of go back. Um, we, well, we try to go back as often as we can. It's kind of became like a ritual thing for us to go back every year. We go to the clam box and we go and have some clams, go to Crane's Castle. And so it became to me like a second home. And a lot of the stories that I write, for some reason, my mind is always going back to Ipswich as that peaceful little historic town that is so quiet, but there's something going on with it because it's kind of a bit of air of mystery. And so that's why she went from Wisconsin to Ipswich, Mass. <laughs> if you can't remember her name, you'll know her as the woman with the blue hair, but you need yes. to start remembering her name. The, she's <laughs> the author of Memories of Cronosalis. Her name is Kara Como. Kara, I can't thank you enough for joining us tonight. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Next week on Sci-Fi Saturday Night, Eric Radvin will be joining us to talk about Crypt Zero and some of his other stuff. And then it's the holiday season and we're off for a while. And I'm looking forward to some free time because Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, Keene Comic Con, Plastic City Comic Con, BooksandBooze.com, and ComicArthouse.com. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. If you're looking for a really great gift book for the coming holiday season, please take a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's anthology, My Peculiar Family, on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. The My Peculiar Family audiobook is now available on Audible, as I'm really not sure where else you could possibly find it. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. More of his amazing stuff can be found, including hot sauce, at robwattsonline.com. Our outro music, that beautiful stuff you're listening to right now, was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Your stuff can be found on lawrencemademecry.com. A big hello to Joe Whitby. We love you, hon. Many thanks to the gang tonight. From the Peabody Time Tunnel, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Brianna, and woman of Fort Sombrian. Thank you so much, lady. This is Dom saying, Terry and Jeannie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Get well, Stacy, we miss you. Enjoy the chaos. I know.